Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the life and breath, all that you've given us. We thank you for this time, uh, for the people that you've brought here this morning. Would what we say um, be helpful? Would you bring your Holy Spirit into this place that you would soften our hearts to hear what you would have to say? Uh, things that you would um, want to bring to our minds, would you recall them now? The things that you wouldn't have for this morning, would you help us set aside? And would you make our conversation edifying and fruitful that we may love you and our families through uh, the discipleship of our children, particularly in this area of technology and screens, Lord, we need your help. So we ask for the illumination of your Holy Spirit now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it is great to be back with you after such a long hiatus, and we want to leave a good bit of time for discussion today. We have so much that we could share. Um, this week we are talking, uh, th this is not the J.C. Ryle book week, because you know this is exactly why we have a new, a new book and an old book. I mean, who could have envisioned in the the 1800s, you know, where we are now with screens and technology. So the, the chapter that we read for this week is the Justin Whitmill early book, Screen Time, chapter four, from Habits of the Household. Uh, if I don't have a chance to, to share this later, this is a phenomenal, this is worth its weight in gold. It is a, a short little itty bitty book called The TechWise Family, Everyday Steps for Putting Technology in Its Proper Place. So my hope is to quote a few times from it because there's so much stuff in here. And he cites it, I think, at the end of the chapter. But this is a, one, I mean, it's brought, I wish it wasn't called the TechWise Family because I've tried to get more and more young adults and college students to read it, but they read the title and they're like, no way. So, um, but it has so much wisdom for just what does it mean um, to live a flourishing life? And it's really not about just like practical steps, though it gives them I for technology. And have you seen they... He cites another resource is My TechWise Life, yeah. Growing Up and Making Choices in a World of Devices by... Um, same, same folks. Maybe that's what that book is, is more um, a broader thing, not just for families, I guess. But this is particularly because it's a parenting class. This is a great one. Um, I mean, all family. of this, I can name, like, I mean, I don't even want to be here. I don't want to talk about this because this is so convicting, right? Like, I mean, I think it's an area where... You know, you just you just know that you're. It, it's so evident that we're struggling with this as parents, as people, um, and it it. I mean, my my initial thing reading, and we read this a couple years ago, and it was like, uh, uh, no, I yeah. don't want to do it because I knew that it was just going to be so convicting. Um, but in a fruitful way. Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of a good lead-in to the beginning of this chapter where she shares her story, and I'm like, who here can't relate to you know, his wife, Lauren, who was like, I just want 20 minutes, and so here, here's an iPad, here's a show. Like, please, I just need, not only need to do other things, but like just needing a break, and I think all of us can relate to that at some level, and so... Going back, gosh, nothing like having weeks and weeks to prepare for this one where all of our conversation was like, uh, this is, we're not doing very well in this regard. And so that led to a lot of lovely conversations in our house. The earbuds for me. Yeah, there's a lot of things. Um, but anyway, so what if, well, why don't we just try to go through some of what he says in this chapter and then share a little bit about what this looks like in, in our family. So um, do you want to jump in or do you want me to... 
to go for. So I think the, the first overarching statement um, that we would all have to come to really agree on in, in this content is um, he, he cites Romans 12 to do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he goes on to make the point, it is never not being shaped by something. Um, the human heart is not a car. There is no neutral. Um, because where the imagination goes, so goes the heart. And so I think um, this putting this to words and reading this was an area of having to sit and really kind of think about that and, and then agree that like everything, even idleness, is formative to the heart and to the mind. Yeah, that's been a conviction of the whole book, but everything in this class we've talked about is like what we do, even subconsciously, is affecting our hearts and what we love. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, ultimately what we want to instill in our children is a right love, uh, loves rightly ordered, I should say. I think it was about two years ago when our daughter was six was when we really first noticed in her um, we would say, what you doing? And she would say, I'm having a daydream. And she would sit and just, it would just be daydreaming, which is speaking to this. Like she was imagining, and this is not something that I would want to put on a recording or anything. And I want to protect her, but, but it was evident that the things that you watch, the things you read, the things you see, like really do form the imagination and where the imagination goes. And we saw that even beginning as early as just a six-year-old saying, I'm daydreaming. Um, and it was lovely. I mean, some of the things she would share with us were just these delightful, fun daydreams. That, um, that made me remember a clip. I, I thought of it just this morning. So if we can huddle around the computer, <laughs> maybe come up a little bit, and then you can return to your seats because... I, don't, I didn't plan for having the big screen or anything like that, but it's a four-minute little clip, and it's not just about, like, the, oftentimes we think about, like, the content that our kids are getting, and this is, um, this is a theologian named James K.A. Smith. He wrote a book called um, You Are What You Love. We've cited it a good bit, of the, the Power of Habits. This is a, it's just a phenomenal four-minute little clip that uh, I think you will be blessed by, so... Hopefully you can hear it and see it. I'll, I'll give you one more example of the way these kinds of secular liturgies work. Do you notice, we haven't talked anything about what's being sold. We're just talking about the way of life that's associated with it. I'll give you one other example. Um, uh, this comes from, uh, I'm convinced that if Martian anthropologists ever wanted to really understand North American society, they should just study beer commercials. Right? Because beer commercials are like this, this portal into a worldview, right? And, and I remember one day watching this um, beer commercial, I must have been watching sports or something, and this beer commercial comes on, and it was for a really lame beer called Michelob Ultra, which is not, uh, so I've heard, at least. I don't know, I think it's not. Friends, if you're gonna backslide, don't do it with Michelob Ultra. Um, anyway, so there's, there's this fantastic um, portrayal in which, so, okay. And we also all know that beer commercials are inherently sexist, right? So just stick with me for a second. These guys are at the office, it's the end of the work day. They come out of the office building. It's time to go home. There's a car sitting at the curb. It's this guy's car. It's a terrible car. 
Who would ever want to drive that car? And so the guys come out, they don't like that car, and so they simply do this. Boom, beautiful new car. It's a beer commercial, so it magically cuts to the beach, right? All of a sudden, these guys are on the beach. They see some young ladies off in the distance. They're thinking, oh, this might be interested in this, but they can't really quite twelve. And so what they do is this. And all of a sudden, the ladies are up close, and they can see them, and they're drinking Michelob Ultra, so they're totally into these guys, and everything's going fantastic, right? Cut to another scene. They're at the club now. The DJ is up there. The DJ's playing stuff that they don't want to hear. And, and so, once again, now they're hearing exactly what they want to hear. And I stepped back and I thought, that is fantastic. Heartbreaking, but fantastic. Because actually, what they've just shown me is that this device is training me how to relate to the world. Do you know what I mean? Do you see what they've done? All those movements is they've taken the tiny little micro rituals of how I engage with this device and have shown that in fact, that's kind of what I want the world to be. And, it, it, and we're not even talking about the content that you're looking at here. So Steve Jobs, I, by the way, I was totally looking up to see if I could get an early showing of the Steve Jobs movie since it's Los Angeles, but it's not until I leave. Steve Jobs is the absolute master of desire and wants. That's actually all Steve Jobs really had going for him. And he knew that there would be something affective and formative about the intimacy of our interacting with a device inside. You don't touch an iPhone, right? You sort of caress it. There's something sort of inherently affective about it. But notice what this commercial is illustrating is that quite apart from what I'm looking at, this micro-ritual has effectively taught me that I am the center of the world, and I should never be bored, I should never be uh, uh, unentertained, and I should always have what I want at my fingertips when I want it. That, friends, is egoism. But the way you learned it, the, the illustration is beautiful because it's not because somebody came along and gave you an argument about why you had to be an egoist, they just gave you a phone. And the phone comes loaded with liturgies and rituals. And in an implicit way, in this unconscious way, you don't realize all of the ways that you are learning to love. <laughs> all right. So did you, did you track with that? Hopefully you got a little bit of it. No, he's, he's a theologian. He's speaking at a Christian university. So uh, that's... It's quite funny. That was a clip from one of his talks called Taking a Liturgical Audit of Your Life. But hopefully you see the point and why I showed that brief little clip is so much is happening with technology and screens, rituals, liturgies, he calls them. They're habits that form our hearts quite apart from the content themselves. And I feel like that was at the front and center of this chapter in some ways. And the whole point is that if we, you know, our, that our hearts are formed to like look for loves, right? Like what are we looking for in loves? And it says, consider the stakes for a moment. If we do not teach our kids about sex, screens will be happy to do it for us. If we do not teach them about categories of good and evil, then screens will be happy to obscure all of them. If we do not teach them that God made them who they are on purpose, man or woman in black or white, then screens will be happy to confuse their understanding of all these things. If we do not teach them that by, by 
buying things will not make them happy and that consumption always leaves you hungrier, then screens will teach them that being a consumer is a way to status and satisfaction. If we do not teach them that the world of nature is ferocious and fantastic, something to be stewarded and stunned by, then the world of screens will teach them that looking at pictures of nature is enough. If we do not teach them that silence is a sacred place where God speaks to us, then screens will make sure that they never, ever discover it. If we do not teach them that vulnerable and embodied friendship is the heart of the good life, then screens will relentlessly nudge them toward connecting and liking their way to endemic loneliness. I mean, that, all the things the heart could be scrambling after in love, it's, it's right. It's saying that screens will do it. So it leads to the point that where are the limits? Yeah. Yeah, that was a quote, that paragraph. I remember reading it to you. We were mm-hmm. getting ready for work one day, and I just like read that paragraph out loud and was like, oh, wow, that is just the power of it. That was on 95 and 96 of the chapter. Um, and it's so fast. I mean, it's a child walking by and just seeing even at something as simple as, as a commercial. I mean, in just a 15-second clip, something can be so formed um, to, to how a child is right. perceived. So he, the, the structure of the chapter, there's basically two parts to it. The first part is like you've got to curate, mm-hmm. like a museum curator. You've got to curate what your life is going to be about, particularly in the realm of technology and the first part is well, just did you catch the line too and i want to be like because i think this is something where we tend like when i read that i'm like ah, we'll never right. look at the screen again but he makes a great point of saying curation not abstinence and so that's when he starts talking about the ways um to curate yeah and i think he had a quote somewhere where um he's actually saying it's far more difficult <laughs> to actually curate as opposed mm-hmm. to just refrain altogether uh, that's, in, in fact, in many ways easier. Easier it requires wisdom and discretion uh, to try and use this responsibly. And one of the um, one of the analogies that he gives to technology and to screens is uh, it, it's actually like drugs. And I think there's a lot of a lot of studies that are done that show the effect on the brain of all this. I mean, dopamine hits and that sort of thing. He says it's not like heroin, but more like alcohol. And so when we think about um, just the stakes at play when we're seeing some of the stuff happening at, at a formative physiological level for kids. Um, you know, just giving a, a really small child some, like alcohol, we would definitely think twice yeah. about that. Um, so, but the first part of the chapter, he's talking about the importance of having limits, and just like that that little clip that we just played, limits. Um, by default, this teaches us that we don't have limits, that limits are bad. We live in, in the West today, which says the, uh, the antithesis of your flourishing and your good life is setting a limit on anything, saying no. You need to be able to do whatever you want, whenever you want it, all the time. And your bodies are, will always keep score. I think this is why we see so much anxiety and depression in, in young people is because this device came out when they were in middle school. And so you're starting to see the formation, I think, of that. Um, and so the importance of saying no, right? And he says, that's just part of the, uh, being a parent, right? Well, like, and taking he makes the pain the... when your children don't have to. Exactly, and I think something that I picked up in reading through this, the key to this, and it, he starts with this line in Setting Limits, um, you know, that, that they have, and this is, I think, everything that this book, this content has been really setting up is that rhythms, like you have to have these defined rhythms because he says that otherwise you'd be using your mental energy all the time with your kids to consider your options. And so he really talks about how, you know, if it's not Friday movie night, the, over time, the kids started knowing 
the limits versus when it's a free range all the time and the parents are the only person that the kids are always coming to, can I watch TV? And you're like, you have no rhythms or structures or limits or boundaries. It becomes just the mental strain of the parent of having to figure out, is this the moment where I'm going to take the pain and say, no, you know, you're having to do the inventory of everything that you have allowed, or are you at a boundary point? So I think the essence of all this is really sitting down and thinking about what things you want to have in place. And he says that, like, you have to think about what you want to do, commit to it. And, and make it explicit in the family. I think that was one of the things when we talk about what we've done. We implemented that little thing uh, of, you know, we didn't, I think he just has one day a week or something like that. We were like, we're going to say Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays in our house are the technology like that's when you can watch a movie or play you know i've got a nintendo 64 that my kid thinks is like the greatest thing ever which makes my heart smile but But they even that didn't have we realized enough limits because when friday hit the floodgates were open and we by sunday realized we had created a binge culture in our house (laughs) where the kids were like non-stop screens so even that we had to say okay we've got to structure this differently each kid got a piece of paper and they had to go get sticky notes and write 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes on these sticky notes. And they had to put it each on their piece of paper. And when they wanted to watch or engage with a screen, they had to say, may I engage with the screen? Yes, and go get me your sticky note. And I'm setting the 20 minute timer because otherwise, I mean, it was all weekend. And we were like, all Friday, oh Saturday, my goodness, Sunday. this is binging. I didn't this see that coming. Yeah, yeah. we didn't. It, but it wasn't, I think we learned, like we thought we had set a limit, but we hadn't even thought through the the nuances of that but the the encouragement was like the kids picked up on it relatively quickly i mean the first week was pretty brutal Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. okay uh he his question i think was brilliant like when he's asked can i watch something can i play on the ipad is it friday saturday or sunday you know was our answer and they picked up on it like they stop that. They still ask all the time, but it's less. One of the kids doesn't know what day of the week it is, so he's just yeah. a little confused. He, he thought he was supposed to be at school today. <laughs> but he knows at least Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yes. Um, if today happens it's to be funny. one of those days, and he genuinely yeah. doesn't know, um, but mm-hmm. that that is one of those. Yeah. So these are some of the ways that he tried to put limits in their family. So they did family movie nights. Mm-hmm. They in the car would. Um, do screenless car rides and we had a friend that i really loved that they did this they had a lot of kids in like a big suburban i don't think i could do this i'd vomit but um she you know dad would be driving and mom would they would read the classics to their kids like they were reading um you know little house on the prairie any green gables like all these like little sweet books in the car to the kids yeah and i think that was a great approach to using that time wisely yeah and that gets into the second step which is choosing good content like choosing well like not just setting limits but okay given that you can't do everything what are you going to actually do before we get to that i think it's important to touch on the fact that one of the regular rhythms in their family was that they would have a a sabbath of screen time Mm -hmm. and he takes this right out of Mm -hmm. this book i mean this was amazing um and I don't know if we'll have time to do it. I, I just want to like quote the rest of that. Book. But um, taking 24 hours where there's no technology, what, what he does in his family, Andy Crouch, is that um, everything but the refrigerator, everything that's like technology, when you think about like everything, like because the food would spoil, right? So like they turn off the air conditioner, they turn off all the phones. And the, I love this line. <laughs> 
That's right. They were in Pennsylvania, but they had a, a hearth, a fireplace, and so that was a, a major part of what they would um, what they would have. And their living room didn't have a TV in it; it was a fireplace. And there was this, uh, you know, when asking, um, you know, how much change did they have to think? Uh, it doesn't require us to become Amish but you are probably going to have to become closer to Amish than you really think. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things he says in, in the Justin Whitmill early book, is it's setting a limit, it's always going to be probably more uncomfortable than we would like. Um, but what I loved about this is they had a set of values. There's like 10 tech-wise commitments, their values for their family. And this was, this was one of them. We want to create more than we consume. Mm -hmm. We want, so we fill the center of our home with things that reward skill and active engagement. That, for me, I remember hearing that was like, ding, okay, that changes how I think about my family and, and like the home is we want to create more than we consume. A lot of technology can be creative, but a lot of, most of it, I think, is passive, just consuming. And so having guitars or well, like yeah, music Yeah, you think around. about this, like the TV, when it's there, it's, it's there and it becomes a thing, but with, you know, like, I like things put away in the house, but what would it look like to always leave um, some paper and some crayons yeah. on the table or to leave the board games out, you know, on the porch and to have those places that just like the TV draws us, that because those are there and regularly there and out, it just naturally draws our children to create and, and for us to create too. I loved, because I feel as a, I feel the parent guilt like yesterday our kids I came home maybe it was Friday or something but um, we have just this incredibly creative daughter and she wrote this whole list she had planned a movie but in order for us to watch a movie together as a family there were signs and posters that she had made and put up all through the house um, about like family fun um, she had made a little checklist of everything that she needed to get and gather and place and like what to do I mean it was this whole like for the there were for the tickets two that yes. people had so there was she even thought of the way to come into yes. the space so you had to walk in this way you had to, you had a ticket that you had to turn in um, and there was a menu that she created yep of what we're gonna eat while we watch it. It was unbelievable. But for like a two hour movie, she had done probably like four hours of, of creating. But then my, like, I always feel guilty when I'm like using the screen as the babysitter, right? Like, so like a moment like that was clearly like we needed to watch the movie as a family. But I loved, I really appreciated in here that he even mentioned that he and Lauren used the screens oftentimes yes. as like, the kids are gonna watch this while we're doing something else but it's balanced with also he talks about engaging like you need to be watching the content or engaging the content of the screens with your kids so do you have that quote that was such a good quote mm, which one the one where she, he, they were like the uh permission to actually allow technology to be a babysitter no maybe not well um yeah anyways so i don't think we'll find that yeah no Alas, what else were you saying? Um, no, I mean, okay, so when oh, it comes wait, hold on. I, the, <laughs> okay. you gotta give me some time. Um, I also really liked that he talked about what they do with their boundaries when they send their kids to other places. That was important to me. Um, and I think it kind of, as parents, we don't want to step on people's toes, right? 
but he talked about how like even when the kids are going other places and engaging screens sure it might not be that friday night like they're gonna they're they don't expect their kids to regulate themselves to where and i grew up and i had neighbors that were like no screens during the week and they would come to our house and they were still not allowed to watch screens um he holds their boundaries a little bit more loosely like when you're at a friend's house if they're watching screens you can watch it but they they he he gave kind of the the impression that he talks to the family about, you know, what did my kids watch or what will my kids be watching when they're at your house or, or so forth. And I mean, wow, like that's, a, that's hard, right? To talk to another adult, you don't want to offend somebody, but at the same time, all the more you look at the stats of, of, you know, and the experiences of where and when people have been, children have been exposed to certain things. Um, you know, does your child have access to a, you know, computer and are they able to use it whenever they want? Because if you send your child over to their house and this, and this person has an older sibling and so forth, like you're ultimately putting your child at, at a risk for seeing something that in your own home you wouldn't want them to see or how you would even know. Yeah. Yeah. So we should wrap up and like, I'm going to um, talk a little bit about okay how to choose well so mm -hmm. you mentioned our, our friends who read the classics in the car like that's an example of what are what is this body of work that's been done in human history that's good true and beautiful and how can we how can we in, like have that be at the center of what our families are listening to and reading and watching um, he says so pick good content over new content Pick media that it educates or expands as opposed to just, remember, passively consuming like with all this light and noise that really has no plot or nothing of substance. Be present communally, like there um, with them, like actually engage where you can, pro he's like a lot of formation is done together in the process after watching it and talking about it. Um, so we've done that and I think just in conclusion, some of the things that we've tried to do, I mean, this again, so much of like, wow, we are struggling in so many areas, things that we've started and not doing right now, but we need to pick up again. Um, he mentioned the power of the nudge, which he gets from Andy Crouch's TechWise family. How you set up your home nudges you. So one of the things we tried to do is buy that old alarm clock that is like battery powered so that the first thing in my day, I'm not picking my phone. Now I'm still terrible at it. I have both <laughs> my like, phone the and the alarm clock yeah. right there and I still grab the phone. It's like, leave the phone out. So the very present, and that was one of the things, we have a place to put our technology coming home. And one of the things we were challenged by that has been helpful in the past is set, setting off or shutting off the phone, especially for an hour from like four to five or five to six, like that time of day, especially. That was going really well, I think, for us and, and trying to do more well, of that. Well, even the art of communication. I mean, when we grow up, think about it. When we grew up, we saw our parents reading a newspaper. Mm -hmm. We saw them reading books. We saw them using a phone. There were distinctions between usage, like what, what our parents were engaging with. Whereas now, like a conversation we've had often is I'm like, hey, you're looking at a screen and that's not a bad thing, right? Because screens do have good to it and this is the world we're living in. Can you communicate to your children and to your wife before you engage it? Could you say, hey guys, I'm actually gonna read an article right now. I'm reading an article because I think that says a lot more to our kids who obviously don't have these devices yet, don't know all of it, but all they do know is, wow, this takes up a lot of my parents' And they time. assume the worst probably, yeah. I think. And you know, it's 
hey, I'm gonna send an email or hey, I'm going to it's read an work. article. Yeah, or just um, scrolling on social media or whatever it is, you know? And so um, trying to communicate that, I think is really important. Um, gosh, I love that. I loved how we talked about, you know, they don't have a TV in their, their living room, and no. but they had a projector. We used to do this. Yeah. Our TV was outside on the we back We didn't porch. have one for a long time. And, it was, and then we put it on the porch. It was lovely. So it was hard, harder yeah. in that sense to go and be consuming technology. Yes, yeah, summer and winter we didn't consume a lot of technology because yeah. it was either so hot or so cold. But but that's um, the power of the nudge is how you even set up your home. Like, yeah. you know, he wants it to be difficult to go to have to watch a movie. So they move the pictures off the wall and they put up the projector so that they can watch a movie. But they can. What's really easy to do in their home is build a fire because they have a fireplace that they restored. There's books hanging around, and I think that's something that we've tried to implement that's been successful. Final thoughts? Boom, we got to discuss. Um, I love that he he always the reminder like this is not perfection driven, and he says uh, at the end, what does he say? Remember, grace means it's never too late to start. Don't worry about what your screen practices have been. Think about what they could be. Yeah. And that, um, and it's, it's always just a, you know, it's going to work for a season and then you're going to get a kid that gets a little older and, and something changes. And I mean, our kids now um, bring home technology from school. Like that's, that's a whole thing. Um, and so drawing those, those boundaries and gizmo watches, like that's a thing in our house right now. And, you know, I think it always changes, and, and so the, the real heart is that we have to be, and we, we have always, you have to be in a place in your marriage where one person doesn't feel like they're pulling all the discerning weight in this. You've got to be able to do this as a team because you're setting these limits that your kids are observing and participating in together as a household. Yeah, that's a good word because I, I think the book didn't touch on this, but as we were reading it, we were like, man, how we engage technology is almost more important than the limits and the curation with our kids. And that is the more indicting thing. Is like, man, I need to look in the mirror of how I'm using it, what I'm valuing, because that has probably the biggest effect on our kids.